everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and as always, we're coming to you from the Genre Equality channel. This is our spin-off podcast where we talk about uh, basically kind of uh, the pop culture things in the past. Uh, not necessarily cu- current releases, but things that have happened that we really want uh, more attention on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more people to watch and see. Uh, and on this particular edition, we want to talk about specifically Singaporean art. Um, this is a podcast, I know like some of our listeners are not based in Singapore, but we are, we are based in Singapore. So we wanted to talk about some of the um, prominent works of art from Singapore that have come out uh, in the last, well, since our independence, uh, basically, uh, because it is National Day. Uh, this month is National Day on August 9th, if you mm-hmm. don't know, that's our Independence Day. So we'll be talking about different aspects of Singaporean art. Uh, not all of them will be in the same medium. Uh, one of them is a comic book, uh, literature. One of them is a stage uh, theatrical production, uh, and one of them is a film that actually even predates our independence. Uh, it was filmed in Singapore, but we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll get into like the technicality of that soon now because some people don't actually consider it a Singaporean film, uh, but I do. <laughs> and I think, I think most Singaporeans do, and maybe like Malaysians will take offense to that, but you know, we'll, we'll get into that later. Lah. But like, what is tried and true Singaporean is. Um, the Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai uh, by Sunny Liu, you know. Um, it is a fairly acclaimed Eisner Award-winning graphic novel mm-hmm. that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, too much infamy in Singapore. Um, if you don't know, <laughs> there was a lot of controversy here about, you know, getting funding from NAC, getting the funding pulled. Um, and it is this depiction of uh, Singaporean history isn't exactly um, the kind of whitewash version that the PAP would like you to see. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into that soon. Lah. Um Subsequently, we'll be talking about uh, a P. Ramdi film called Ibu Mertuaku, which translates as uh, My Mother-in-Law. Uh, and then a very famous one-woman Peranakan play, uh, The Emily of Emerald Hill, which has been redone several times. It's actually one of uh, Singapore's most uh, iconic stage productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been around for quite a while. Um, I only recently got to see it because uh, during the quarantine days, uh, well, I mean... It's sort of over, but not really. But, you know, back when we were on real lockdown, uh, Wild Rice actually put uh, a version of the play up online to stream, and I managed to catch that. Uh, and Isa has actually been to, uh, to, to watch it live. So yeah. we'll, we'll discuss our different experiences on that. Lah. So um, let's begin first with our main topic, uh, which I consider, I don't know about other people, I consider to be uh, the, the greatest work of art ever made by a Singaporean uh, mm. about Singapore. Um, I I don't know. Like, do you, do you feel like it's up there? Is that a bit of a hyperbolic statement? No, I mean, like, it definitely ranks up there as one of the greatest pieces of works ever come out from Singapore about Singapore, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, the controversy aside, and and um, you know, the the content that uh, w- uh, within the thing itself, like, just the the sheer. Uh, quality of the work and the yeah. ideas that are presented and the way that it's executed like it's the best visual story that i think we've ever had right from singapore oh, yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah if you're unfamiliar and if you're new to uh, sunny Liu's the art of charlie chan uh, charlie chan hock chai uh, it tells the story of the titular cartoonist charlie chan hock chai uh who came of age in uh, post-World War II Singapore in the mm-hmm. turbulent years of self-government, uh, merger, separation, and independence. Uh, Chan documents that period of uh, riots and unrests in a, in a series of vignettes, all, all kind of vivid allegories about the politics of the time. Yeah. Uh, this biography, though, is fictional, 
uh, as is Chan himself. Um, the novel is kind of merely a conduit through which Liu offers his take on Singaporean history, mm-hmm. uh, the development and style of governance, uh, as, as well as it's also a work of historical revisionism. Uh, it challenges conventional under- understandings of uh, Singapore's past. Yeah. Uh, and as a work of metafiction, it also calls on the reader to treat uh, narratives uh, put forth by the government with, with skepticism. Uh, but besides the political part of it as well, it's also a very metastextual take on comic books mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, uh, the artist, the cartoonist here was inspired by legends like Osamu Te- Tezuka and Carl Banks uh, and, and things like that. He, um, he suddenly basically recreated his comic strips uh, and comic books like uh, an Astro Boy inspired Ahuat's giant <laughs> robot, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's very meta into comics and it's very meta into its historical revisionism as well. Um, it's been, I think, a few years since you last read it, probably when it first came out. I, I read it like on an annual basis around this time because it's important um well having not read it for a while what, what, what do you think about it well, i just reread it a couple of days ago uh yep. but my first encounter with the art of charlie town hawk chai uh was shortly after its release maybe about a year i think when it made news and, and all of that uh just after mm. it won maybe i can't remember if it was it just before or just after it won the eisner awards that was mm-hmm. 2017 so it's been a couple of years yep um well I okay, so the meta textuality aside, right? Mm-hmm. Like in and of itself, the way in which this story is, is told is fascinating because when I first read this, I actually thought that mm. Charlie Chan Hock Chai was an actual person. Oh wow, okay. Uh right. Because I just kind of dived into it. Like I understood uh, the context in which like why why uh Sonny Liu was like getting into trouble. Um mm with our arts council and things like that like I kind of do that but like the actual content itself I didn't really dive that deep into it so I, I started reading it without that prior knowledge and yeah. I fully believed right that Charlie Chan Hock Chai was an actual person of whom mm. I had never heard about whose art I've never seen right yeah. and I was just like how did I ever not know about someone of this quality of mm. course after reading it through the first time round, uh, when I first got my hands off, I, I, I realized that, okay, no, it is a fictional character. But mm-hmm. it, the story is so well told and I think so well researched, both in terms of the actual his, uh, history that it's trying to cover, as well yeah. as the fictionalized history of Charlie, yeah. uh, that it is incredibly difficult. Um, to, to th- it's very easy to feel like um, Charlie Chan Hock Chai was someone that existed in his mm-hmm. time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of the way that it is told, it is a graphic novel that is documentary like in the most like fine of ways, right? Like the fidelity in which it's done is pretty mm-hmm. amazing. The attention to detail, um, the painstaking kind of like um, creations, recreations. Uh, recreations, yeah. Uh, yeah, recreations of the artwork, you know, and... Um, and, and where it's from and all, all of that uh, really does build into its own kind of mythos that is entirely believable. Yes, yeah. It's documentary in, in, in almost like an, kind of like an American splendor kind of way. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, but, but that was an autobiographical biographical, um, comic book about the writer himself, you know. Yeah. So this is somewhat like that, but not really. Um, it reminds me a bit of um, 
Michael Chabon's uh, The Amazing Adventures of Kevlar and Clay, you know, mm. about comic book writers and how they come up and, and things like that. Uh, but what's most impressive is kind of the 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 recreation of the various styles, you know. Yeah. Um, it, he, he had to make the book look like a real dossier of an artist's work. And, yeah. and 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 the results are perfectly believable. I mean, as you you believed it, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and kind of uh, mixed in with the full color, full uh, the full page, full color comics are uh, unfinished pencil sketches and and mm. convincingly dog-eared mock-ups of a uh, dragon, the the magazine that Charlie is supposed to have to try it uh unsuccess- unsuccessfully to publish in the fifties. Um, someone has even uh sewed and photographed a little uh stuffed doll of one of the early characters. You mm-hmm. know. Um, the, the portraits of friends, family, Charlie himself, and and significantly both, uh, you know, the, the, the political figures involved, uh, you know, Lee Kuan Yew especially, uh, kind of display Sunny Liu's uh, high art uh, chops. Uh. Mm. It's a very versatile and very dazzling piece of work uh, outside of the politics of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in, insane to find a book like this that can so acerbically and succinctly... Uh, polemicize Singaporean history stretching back to before World War II, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as Liu tells it, Charlie was quite um, radical in his sympathies and, and most of the comics provide um, a, a very firebrand take on the issues of the day uh, using uh, perky children and animals to lambast uh, government oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie ostensibly drew a, a strip in the 50s and the 60s, uh, kind of the the... Uh, Bukit Chapalang, which is kind of um, satirizing the politics of, of colonial independence and the short-lived union with Malaysia, you know. Um, so, I mean, all this stuff is so fascinating to read in of itself, you know, just those comic strips, you know. Yep. Uh, let alone the larger framework within, within it. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, like, how... Oh, I, I, I'm so curious as to, you know, how, how does one hold all of that at the same time, right? Like, as a reader, we just, we get to slowly kind of unfold all of that. We get to unfold the text itself, the subtext as we're going along, the meta text as we finish the book. Um, but, like, that, that is a, it's a fair bit of um, work that needs to be done, you know, both creatively and, and in terms of, like, how do you set up a story to be told uh, mm-hmm. of a fictional character retelling many non-fictional things. Right, yeah. um, it's an amazing kind of mind blowing journey um, to make your way through that, whether or not you are aware uh, of the actual existence of Charlie Chan, mm-hmm. uh, or whether you are fully aware that oh, you know, this is uh, supposed to be a more meta take on various things. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, it it's so uh, layered. Uh, it's a, such a layered book, you know, um, that. I think it is. Uh, it, it it's right up there with like things like Mouse and and like great uh political uh and Persepolis, you know, great political comic books of of that ilk, lah. Yeah. It um, it's it's so fantastic for uh Singaporeans number one. But I think like if you're non-Singaporean, like do you think you would feel the way uh that Singaporeans feel reading this, or will it you know be a bit uh unfamiliar and therefore you know, you won't have as much of an emotional investment in things like this. Ooh. Hmm. As I, I was reading, I, I remember very distinctly as I was reading through it the first time, right? As yep. we're diving into kind of Singapore's history. Yeah. A lot of, uh, I don't know, repressed or discarded information from, from learning all these things, right? Mm, yeah. Um, as kids in school, uh, kind of came flooding back, um, you mm. know? So there is a lot of 
um, that association and that kind of nostalgia of like discovering these little facts about our history mm-hmm. uh, that comes flooding back. I do think, however, if I wasn't Singaporean and I only had a very basic knowledge of of you know Singapore's kind of like um, kind of like founding and the the players involved and all of that, uh, there is still sufficient. Uh, for you to be fascinated, right? I think mm. it might be even more so just because it deconstructs a very widely propagated myth about the Singapore story oh, by yeah. creating a myth of its own. Uh, mm-hmm. And that to me, in and of itself, it, it's kind of crazy. Like you may not know the details and I think a lot of the way in which it, um, the politics of the era is, is satirized and is, is um, peeled apart um, is is very sharp and very well researched, and it's very hard to kind of not um, use that to kind of fill in the gaps, right? If you're someone who's not familiar uh, with mm. it, uh, so it's utterly convincing for someone who knows not a great deal, but like f- knows fairly well what we're about and where we come from. Given the fact that a lot of us come from the art scene, uh, mm. and we filled in our own gaps, um, you know, regarding our history and not just what's fed to us. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, long story short, I do think that if you do know that Singapore exists and a bit about, um, you know, uh, our genesis, uh, it's an easy enough read for you to come in and say like, okay, let's see what this is about and be completely taken by it as well. I think it's it's immersive enough in the, not in a like spoon feeding you kind of way, but like yeah. you kind of just learn the history and culture and the values of the people in this country and what the social issues are. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like uh like the wire, you know, like it's not yeah. you know it's not like a lecture, but you kind of learn it. Uh, in much the same way that you know I never lived in Baltimore, but you know I felt the wire felt authentic. Uh, so and and this feels authentic to me lah, and also. Because growing up in Singapore in social studies class and, and, and things like that, I obviously classes never really explored the history of uh, 1950s communist leader Lim Chin Siong, for mm-hmm. example, you know, yeah. who, who was jailed without trial for years and kicked out of the country. Like mm-hmm. he was barely a foot, footnote in, in our history classes, in our yep. social studies classes. Like he was there, but he was kind of portrayed as like a side character and or a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to learn uh, the deeper facets of what he stood for and what the political divisions of Singapore were in the 1950s and and the, the initial alliance between uh, Lim Chin Siong and Lee Kuan Yew and then the eventual falling out, you yep. know. And all of that, so it it is educational as well. Mm-hmm. In in addition to being entertaining, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I think at this point we it's kind of good segue to kind of jump into the actual politics of the book, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I I personally feel like I, I here in Singapore for setting context for listeners that don't know, yeah. Um, any sort of I I do think it's better these days, but a lot of the time, any sort of dissent. Right, especially mm. from the arts community, he gets treated a lot like what happened to Sunny Liu, right? You know, um, mm. his he got his uh, official funding uh, taken away uh, mm-hmm. back from him, so he actually received a, a fair amount of grant money for this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after, um, I can't remember if it was after publishing. I think it was after publishing. Uh, the local publication of of uh, the Art of Charlie Chan Tong Hai, mm-hmm. um, you know, he got that taken back. Yeah. Uh, and it was because there were a lot of takes that um, 
in this in this story Charlie had that uh, were not uh, agreeable right to what um, the Singapore story is usually propagated to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, my major uh, my my in my initial kind of reaction to that when that all happened was just one of outrage just because you know we've seen it happen so much um, here in Singapore. Uh, mm. But after reading the book itself, right, like it is incredibly nuanced. Mm. Um, I don't think that um, the the novel ever vilifies anyone. In fact, it presents a very, very kind of potent view on on the nuances behind the individual characters. Whether we're talking about the founding father Lee Kuan Yew or mm. Lim Chin Siong or any one of the historical characters that we're talking about, right? And even mm. in the novel itself, they ask things like, are you going to get in trouble? Like, is it okay to be talking about actual people? Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's something, that, that's a question that's pointedly asked several times, right? Uh, and to great effect. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, he does. And I think, like, I don't see what... Do, do we really have that much trouble with you know, um, portraying and discussing and and, and uh, talking about nuanced and complex people and characters and politics. Like, yeah. you know, it's just amazing that a work of art like this would not get the support it needs just because it doesn't exactly toe the blind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Like, just in general, uh, we are clearly... Um, we don't hold the kind of mainstream, you know, like PAP loving um, uh, opinions. Um, you and I personally, I believe. Mm, definitely. Uh, so, yeah. like, how how do you feel like it was framed? Mm. Uh, do you feel, um, you know, it, it took it too far? It didn't take it far enough? I think it was it was framed uh, perfectly uh, in terms of, you know, um, informing the casual audience of what uh, Singapore is mm-hmm. and the history of Singapore without ever really uh, demonizing the, the political party in power. Uh, it merely points out its faults, yeah. uh, some of the things it's done wrong, as has every government in the world, mind you. Um, exactly. Like, in fact, like I would say that it, it the, the portrait of Lee Kuan Yew here is, a, is even a bit more human and a bit more uh, empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than the than the official story of Lee Kuan Yew, you know, because I see him as a person, I see him, uh, I know where he's coming from, um, I get the decisions that he made, uh, you know, sometimes morally questionable, but you know, maybe politically necessary for mm-hmm. country survival at the time, you know. So um, I think that the the controversy about this portraying uh, our founding father in a bad light is a bit unfair because it doesn't at all. Yeah, it does not. Uh, the, the problem is that I think like our nation's uh, narrative has been hammered home in, in textbooks and mass media and, and TV shows so much <laughs> that uh, to oppose it uh, seems controversial because, you know, okay, number one, like like it means risking detention, yeah. you know, or, or, or costly libel suits or, or extreme marginalization in a country. Where, where the state controls uh, most of the purse strings and, and kind of the, the levers of power, uh, you know, if you think about SPH and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or at the, at, at the very least, uh, you get your money pulled, uh, which is what happened to Sunny Liu, uh, which is kind of the lower end of retribution yeah. that, that we can get here. Um, I find it ironic that, you know, after it achieved the acclaim that it, it, it did, mm-hmm. NAC 
came back and tried to co-opt it again. You know. Yeah, yeah. For the second for the second round of uh, publication, um, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they very proudly had their logo there. So yeah, like if it's uh, if it's successful, then hey, you know, uh, we are down for it. it. It's a bit hypocritical there. So uh, yeah, uh, like I I think a lot of people don't. If you don't live in Singapore, it's hard to understand the the lack of um, uh, the ability for political dissent yeah. uh, to be to be viewed as a loving thing rather mm-hmm. than a terrorist thing, I guess. Um, because uh, I, I don't know, like if you've ever seen documentaries like like uh, 1987, Untracing the Conspiracy, mm-hmm. or to Singapore with Love, uh, stories about uh communist dissenters in the 50s and the 60s being uh, locked up without trial, being tortured, being forced to confess on TV, being exiled and uh, being forced to never come back. You know, those are things that you never learn from the official story, from the official narrative in in history books, you know. So it's always crucial for either journalism or art to basically fill in the gaps or to refute things when they are not truthful uh, mm. when they're not truthful uh, because you know these are kind of like the the paragons of um holding power uh, accountable uh, yeah. art and journalism you know and and the art of charlie chan hock chai uh in in the story he's kind of a political satirist so he falls under journalism as well mm-hmm. uh and the book obviously falls under art yeah yeah, yeah. and it is brilliant and, and, for what it does Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. I like challenging the myths, and and I think one of the the big themes about the book is is um, rescuing anonymity from from people written out of the official version. You know, yeah. people like Lim Chin Siong in the in real life, and people like uh, Charlie Chan Hock Chai in this fictional story. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it is <laughs> rereading this again, right? Like a part of me just really wanted to like own, you know. The actual comics that that uh, if if they existed, I would really would have loved to own all of that. Just kind of like the way that all of it is presented with the yellow old paper and the tape marks there and how it's scanned and all of that, like birthed a very like deep desire to like have copies of that. You know, just because like the story is so well told, it makes me want uh, it to have actually existed, right? Um, uh, like for there to have been someone of of. Um, Charlie Chan's caliber, uh, writing the satire and drawing these comics and and having like the rich kind of life that is, that is told to us, mm. you know. Um, how do you feel about kind of like the meta commentary about comic books in general and superheroes and so on? Since that's very much in line with um, you know, the last, I guess five years, eight years of our media consumption. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I loved it because it, it speaks to a time when comic books were not what it is today. La. I yeah. think every every comic artist from uh, or, or writer, you know, from Alan Moore to Warren Ellis or whoever, right, um, can say that you know comic books were not cool like, yeah. when we when we were growing up. You know, you found no success. You're not going to be a millionaire. Uh, sadly, most of the people who created the multi billion dollar industry that is you know the film industry today based on comic books uh, are still not seeing a dime for it. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a bit the it, it's like the story of the struggling. Comic book artists filled with creativity, has a lot of things to say, experimenting new genres, uh, telling alternate histories, um, speaking truth to power, things like that, you know, like in, in the way that, that uh, X-Men did maybe, mm. um, that they still, they receive a credit at the end of the film, you know, 
Yeah. Thanks Stanley. Oh, well, Stanley gets the money lah. Thanks uh, <laughs> whoever lah. You know, but you you don't. Credit is nice. Uh, money is better. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, like you know those portrayals of him going to those old comic cons. You know, like uh, what we know of San Diego Comic Con today. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is this this multi billion dollar monolith? You know, like you know, th- hundreds of thousands of people come. It's fucking like it's bigger than Coachella. You know, it's things like that's Comic Con, right? Yeah. And then you see the kind of very accurate depiction of Comic Con back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. <laughs> it's not what it is, lah. There were a couple hundred like nerds there at most, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I I I love the kind of deep dive into comic book history. Not just comic books, manga as well. You know, mm-hmm. the basic gra- graphic, uh, graphic novel history, like you know, yeah. like uh, Osa- Osamu uh, Tezuka is a huge influence. You know, yep. uh, Walt Kelly's Pogo, uh, Steve Ditko's Spider Man, uh, things like this uh, are really great to delve into as a person who is of the of the nerd inclination because I know the references. Yeah, I know I know the history of what he's talking about. You know, uh, so yeah, it it, it was uh, very rewarding to read. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 to your point about the the the, the comic strips, the comics in the comic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it it reminded me like uh, I haven't felt uh, like owning uh, fictional comics. I know they're all fictional, but I mean, like, <laughs> comic comics that end that that are inside, you know, the comics. Yeah. Like since I read the Watchmen, you know, those those pirate comics. Yeah. Like I... they they were so good that I wanted them actually, you know. Yeah. Like, totally. And and. and and I think Sunny Liu's uh, comics are, are just that good. Like, the comics have been a comic. Yeah, so good, so good. Like I, I, I wish you know. I mean, like maybe one day you know, if he can be convinced to like you know have those printed out, though that would be an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's so fascinating. Just like this world that that Sony has created, um, you know, of of this one one man's life and how much has gone into it, and that you feel very much for the world and for this character yeah um, it gives you exactly enough right to believe and root for and vouch for someone who is an entirely fictional character Mm. Uh, and to use that as a medium to tell a nation's story is quite simply excellent excellent art that has been made um, despite um, the troubles that it's faced Definitely, you know, like there's also this this hope that we can be better, mm. um, but also mixed with that hope is a layer of sadness, you know. Yeah. Because like you know, for all of that it you know it brims with all these diverse and colorful creations, um, but it's also fundamentally about a lack, uh, uh, the the absence of an artist who should exist in Singapore but was never allowed to. You know, I'm willing to bet there are many. Uh, outspoken voices, uh, whether you are a poet, whether you are a writer, mm-hmm. whether, you know, things like that, lad, who could have made uh, works of art like Charlie, Charlie Chan Hock Chai, but just couldn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, so the book itself mourns for all the creators who have never been permitted to thrive in, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And, and Liu's own existence seemed to be evidence of a change. Mm. But, you know, a small part of it, like the first step of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. I'm glad that it has received the recognition that it has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it deserves it. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Whether or not, you know, our, our government believes that it's art worth um, talking about or whether it's art worth putting, you know, their support behind it is inconsequential because it is great art. And, and in the at the end of the day, it's going to be recognized for what it is. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm glad that has happened. 
Uh, I mean, it's been recognized all over the world for what it is. Um, yeah. And and Singapore seems to be like the last on the bandwagon. Well, we jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> that, was, that was already full. Uh, but I think most of us in the art scene really under really felt a lot uh, for for the character of Charlie Chan Hock Chai, mm-hmm. and 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 for Sunny Liu who faced so much trouble trying to put this work of art out. Like he faced no trouble elsewhere. You know, it was well received in the UK and yep. the US and everything. He had trouble in Singapore, and this is the the one audience that like really needs to, to read this lah. Mm-hmm. you know in, in the same way that like some of the more controversial political documentaries like 1987 and To Singapore With Love were banned in Singapore Yeah. Uh, and we are the nation that most desperately needs to have this uh, counterpoint to the official narrative mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean I'm glad that a lot of these films and, and comics and, and things like that are slowly starting to be unbanned mm-hmm. uh, Singapore is kind of loosening its, uh, its strict uh, I guess uh, barometer for sedition, like you know, not everything is is <laughs> a communist, is a Marxist plot to overthrow the country. I guess. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's it's a small step forward. Yeah. But you know, we are clearly like very far away from even uh, America, I guess, or or anywhere else, lah. To be honest, yeah. yeah. Sadly, uh, but yeah, I mean, the art of Charlie Chung Hock Chai is is such a phenomenal work that I highly recommend that you go to. You know your local comic book shop, or buy it on Amazon, or I mean, Kino still carries it. Kino mm-hmm. Kunia in Singapore, so yeah, definitely pay your money. Uh, give Sunny Liu your dollars, uh, because he deserves it, man. <laughs> he he definitely does. He definitely does. I I'm really looking forward to more amazing mm. things of this ilk from him. Yeah. Um. One of the best parts about this book is that Sunny Liu. Uh, who is actually Malaysian-born, mm-hmm. but uh, he came to Singapore at the age of five. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's he's a Singaporean resident. Uh, but the the best part about the art of Charlie Chung Hock Chai is like how much uh, clout he got in the comics industry mm. uh, after after this, uh, because he started getting a lot of you know uh, big uh, big uh, jobs, you know, in in Image in in DC, yeah, uh, and and stuff like that, lah. So his career has really has really taken off, uh, since this. And I don't know whether he'll ever be coming back to making a uh, a small comic book about Singapore politics anymore, because you know he's writing, uh, and, and drawing for big titles like yeah. you know, Advent, like Adventure Time and and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> things are actually making him money. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, good for him, lah. And and like no 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 this to like those titles either, lah, because he's doing a fantastic job. No, no, that. of course. I mean, like. It, the art of Charlie Chang is a labor of love, right? That has seen dividends and rewards way past, you know, just just what he has um, kind of put in, right? And I'm glad for that because, like, it's it's a story that we don't see very often here in Singapore, you know? So oh, for him to get the kind of recognition of, of his talent and, and just the brilliance um, mm. of it, I mean, like, it makes me so happy to know that he has been going places since he took a very big risk and put in so much work. Um, mm. in, in, in this very, you know, in, in a labor of love, right, to the nation. There was always this subconscious fear mm-hmm. that I feel like maybe Sunny Liu could have felt that he might end up like Charlie Chan Hock Chai, you know, I... alone and broke and, and stuff like that. That was the cautionary tale. Lah. Yeah, yeah. I, but... I do feel that, especially when we're, when we're talking about, like, uh, the portions of the story, you know, that focuses on Charlie Chan Hock Chai's, um, desire to kind of grow as a comic book artist, right? Like I, it, it did feel, you know, autobiographical. I, I think, I, I think there are moments there where you do kind of sense that, uh, anxiety, um, mm. um, or that question kind of lingers in the air, right? Um, but of course now several years have passed and we've seen that that has turned out to be different. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's why I'm, I'm like glad like he doesn't end up like alone and broke, you know, uh, in in Singapore. Rather, he's a multi uh, Eisner Award winning uh, cartoonist and comic book writer and artist. Uh, he's worked in Marvel. He's worked in DC. He's worked in Boom Comics and uh, Image and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so his career has taken off. Yeah. Uh, so that's really great to see for for Sunny Liu, man. Uh, anyways, uh, next up, let's let's talk about. Um, I guess we'll talk about the film first. Um, yeah. It is called Ibu Mertuaku. It it's it means mother-in-law in uh in Malay. Uh, and it is a really classic 1962 Singaporean slash Malaysian melodrama. Uh, directed by and starring um a silver screen legend, uh, P Ramli. Like mm-hmm. in in Sing- in Singapore and Malaysia, he's nothing short of a legend. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, but the there's a small controversy because it was filmed shot uh and and distributed by a singaporean studio uh and shot in singapore in 1962 but obviously at that time in 1962 we were part of malaysia so uh some people do call uh consider it a a malaysian film um i think it can be both right yeah i mean that's perfectly acceptable given the context of when it was made right like why if it wasn't disputed at that point in time why are we disputing its origins now you know, um, yeah. you know, with the whole thing, sure, we fight about the origin of food, the origin in Malaysia and, and all of that. But like, mm-hmm. I think P. Ramley is big enough and his body of work is big enough for everybody to have a piece of that. Right. Yeah, for they, the peninsula. For the peninsula, right. And yeah. it is very clearly uh, a product of that time and of our, uh, those places, right. Both Singapore yep. and Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, and you can't take away from that because if you if if you want to dispute like oh it's a Singaporean film and it's very it it takes away from the magic of what it actually is right because mm. uh, that plays so much into the stories that he tells you know mm. the ability to kind of traverse between Singapore and Malaysia and the characters and all of that like it had there was an opportunity then to tell those stories that isn't available now you know? yeah so I think it's just a bit silly for us to like argue about something like that absolutely I mean like. Uh... Like, for example, I'm going to, off the top of my head, like, Taxi Driver is a New York film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't make it not an American film. It can be both, you yeah. know. So, yeah, this is definitely a Singaporean film. It was shot in Singapore. It stars Singaporeans. It was made by a Singaporean studio. But also, you know, it is part of the Malaysian uh, artistic heritage and, and fabric. So, mm. yeah, like, let's just share this. Yep. It's, to, to me, it's also a Singaporean film. So, that's why I'm counting it here. Yep. Uh, if you don't know, the, the film story revolves around um, a tragic love affair between uh, Kasim Slamat, who is a poor saxophonist, a uh, musician, uh, and Sabaria, the, the the only daughter of a wealthy woman. Uh, the opening kind of starts out as, as, as a light-hearted uh, rom-com, uh, <laughs> but about at like the 30-minute mark, it turns into a dramatic tragedy. Uh, I think like a number of like P. Ramdi's works, it it uh like you said, like it kind of criticizes the unofficial caste system that's yep. uh that exists in Singapore at the time. You know the, the social divisions. Uh, yeah, it's it, it also has like you know a banging soundtrack. Uh, if you don't know, oh, P. Ramdi yeah. was also was also a musician. Yeah. Uh, for most of his films, he he composed the or the songs for it. He wrote it. He directed it. He starred in it. You know, he was he was our Lin Manuel, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, and also, like, um, for those of you who don't know, right? Like, I, I, I have a fear of contacts. Uh, I have a fear of anything touching my eye. Mm-hmm. And 
I kind of don't know where that came from for the longest time until recently when I rewatched this film for the podcast. Yeah. Because there is a really, really famous, kind of iconic eye-stabbing scene in the film's climax yeah. that I think scarred me for life when I was five. And I think until, until now, like not, nothing can touch my eye. Like, yeah. I will only wear glasses. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you've seen a bunch of like Piramdi's works, like the, more of his comedies, right? His broad comedies. Yeah. Uh, so, Bujang Lapo and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this your first experience with like a, a more dramatic kind of thing? Yeah. With Piramdi? Definitely. Uh, definitely. I don't think... Um, I, I had to watch a fair bunch of the kind of more famous, I guess, Piramdi films, especially Bujang Lapo. The, the comedic stuff... Um, as part of you know uh, several classes that I took on Singapore film, nice. um, so yes, this is my first kind of introduction to his more dramatic works, and uh, this is my first time watching uh, Ibu Matuaku. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I have to agree with you. Like the music is phenomenal. Yeah, you know from start to finish, uh, it's so good. Um, and you know, just just to touch upon that that one scene, right? Uh, the mm. the climatic kind of blinding scene. Yeah, I had I had this like like Shakespearean Lear moment, out vile jelly kind of like uh, <laughs> moment when that was happening. I was just like, damn, you know, to have that kind of like uh, um uh, for it to evoke right mm. something so seminal as you know, um, Gloucester getting his eye poked out uh, yeah, from yeah. Shakespeare, right? In a P. Ramley film, much less. Yep. I, I never expected it. Like, mm-hmm. even when you were telling me, okay, it's one of the more dramatic stuff and all that. Like, I think the first 30 minutes really did kind of like set me at ease before things kind of ramped up. Mm-hmm. So I was caught by surprise as to how dark it managed to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for it to kind of have the... Uh, I, I mean, with the technology of the time, right? Um, so much of the tone of it is set by the performances of the actors as well as the music uh, and less so, you know, some sort of visual flair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it is incredibly effective here. Uh, and scarily so, right? Because it's, it's, you know, like the visuals don't really change up. They don't really change up the cinematography as well. Uh, but when the music shifts, right, um, yep. it really does, uh, you know, turn the story on its head. Oh man, yeah. Um, I think the music plays a big part in a lot of uh, P. Ramdi's works. Mm. Uh, he's a, I, I think I would say he's actually more well known as a composer and musician than as an actor. Yeah. Uh, in in Malaysia, but you know, of course, like he's one of those like triple threats. Like he'll be uh, an EGOT winner if there if there was one. <laughs> yeah, um. So, uh, his most famous roles, uh, to kind of fill you in, uh, are. Kind of more, I I don't know how to describe it uh, Like broad comedies, uh, this basically this this series of films called the Bujang Lapok films, you know, Pendeka Bujang Lapok, mm-hmm. Suniman Bujang Lapok, etc. etc. Which are more like uh, Adam Sandler kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not that they're not, not that they're not, because Adam Sandler at his height was like actually really funny, right? Absolutely, know? yeah. But I'm just saying like broad physical comedy lah. Yeah, was kind of his thing, you know. So a lot of people didn't. Uh, it, it kind of took a lot of people by surprise when Ibu Mutuaku came out and, and I guess still now uh-huh. that he had a more dramatic range la, a bit like Adam Sandler in uh, Uncut Gems <laughs> sure. so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely okay so, so there's that like uh, that dichotomy of him la. so it, it, this space is range as a musician as a dramatic actor as a comedic actor uh, as a director you know as a writer uh, because I you know like I watched it first when I was five or six with my grandma. Wow. Uh, I had only known about his comedy comedy works, you know. So, um, 
the twist at the I, I would it's not really a twist I guess like the turning point of the film in the thirty minute mark ish were uh, really took me by surprise mm-hmm. uh, shocked me uh, and and again shocked me when I rewatched it even knowing that it's coming like it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, don't want to spoil it it's like that moment in the, in waves. <laughs> 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 which we just reviewed also uh last last week uh so do check that out um yeah i mean one one of the one of my favorite uh piramdi films because it it opened my eyes to his range yeah uh, i had no idea that he had this in him um the, i mean the music and the the comedy i knew he had that in him but the the dramatic uh weight that he he added to this performance was uh phenomenal as was the music mm-hmm. uh as was everything else uh, he is kind of the pioneer of the golden age of Singaporean cinema in 60s and 70s. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to kind of get into an idea why he is uh, so well respected, I think I would recommend watching, obviously, the Bujang Lapuk series mm-hmm. uh, and, and Ibu Mertuaku as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I, I would say, what? yeah, you should do the Bujang Lapuk stuff. Bujang Lapuk. Bujang Lapuk yeah. stuff first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is still like till today. Like I think Ibu Mutuaku like it's still heavily referenced in 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 Malay pop culture. You know, there's a lot of like pop songs mm-hmm. and 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 things like that. It's quite iconic. Like Kasim, when you mention Kasim Slamat, people already know what you're talking about. It's a uh, it's this intergen intergenerational thing. Uh-huh. Uh, that uh has uh which is what like sixty seventy. 80 years old now, like close close to 70 years old now, like, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and it's amazing that it's it's has been so evergreen and has uh stood the test of time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a great watch. Uh, I it's been a while since I've watched a film from from this like general period, right? And I was mm. I was just curious with all the fancy bright, fast moving, colorful things that have uh dominated our view. Right. Yeah. Um, in 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 this day and age, like I I would I would struggle um to be mm. interested, but I didn't. Uh, mm. and I was quite pretty fascinated by that. Uh, and I think like a lot of it had to do with just like the the music um mm. really did help um yeah to draw me into the to the movie. I also would like to bring up that toxic fandom is not new because uh, <laughs> um, Mark Dara, who who plays the wicked mother-in-law, the, the titular mother-in-law, you know, from Ibu Mertuaku, mm-hmm. uh, actually uh, received uh, death threats. People tried to beat her up and people would spit on her on the, st- on the street and scold her because her performance was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, there were points in time that were just like terrifying, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, she went from like the Machi, you know, yeah. like all the Machiks, you know, she went from that into a a, a monster, really. Um it was Correct, crazy. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. to think that, you know, back in the day, like mm. it, it was a performance worthy of vitriola and, and that's what happened. It's amazing. I mean like I mean also keep in mind like that this was back when like I think people thought wrestling was real, so you know. that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, uh, kudos to uh Mark Darrell who plays the mother-in-law, who might actually kind of steal the show from Piramli uh with the the absolute like most hateable villain. Mm. Uh, I at least I saw uh, from from when I was young. Uh, I mean, not particularly like nuanced character, but you know, like you want your villain to be hated, and mm-hmm. uh, definitely accomplish that job, man. Uh, next up, let's talk about uh the stage production, a uh, stage play. Uh, it's actually a one-woman show. Uh, if you can believe that or not, all you know. It, it can be a one-man show if you're in, if you're cross-dressing. Uh, it is called um, Emily of Emerald Hill. 
uh, and it is kind of described as as a one woman play, but there are two roles in it. Yeah. Um, Emily and you. Um, apparently the audience uh, play a part of uh, of Emily's friend to whom she confides the story of her life and kind of gradually exposes the secrets of her mind. Uh, so the play is kind of like this this journey through. Uh, human consciousness and through time, uh, as Emily tells you about her life, uh, we are introduced to a host of uh, striking characters. Uh, we see vignettes of a period in Singapore which is no longer familiar, similar to Ibu Mertuaku. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we have heard her story, we ask, uh, "Who is Emily? Is she uh, a nurturer or a destroyer, a, a tyrant, a domestic tyrant, or, or a frightened child? Is she uh, a traditional Asian?" housewife or Singapore's first truly liberated lady uh, how do we understand her and does she understand herself um, mm. and I think that the play is very fast fascinating in, in that extent uh, and and also to our uh, to an outsider's perspective of, of Peranakan culture you know um, since it's a award-winning appearance in, in 1985 you know a very long time ago mm-hmm. um, Emily of Emerald Hill has kind of become an icon of uh, English language theatre in, in Singapore and Malaysia. Uh, many different uh, actresses have played the role and it has been seen by uh, by more people than any other locally written play, uh, yep. according to The Straits Times. Mm. So, um, do you you actually kind of experience uh, Emily of Emerald Hill uh, live? Uh, do you watch it once or twice? And could you tell me uh, what you remember about uh, catching it? Okay, so I caught it... Oh man, let me see. So, um, the version that you watch, uh, it's it's Ivan Hing, yeah, yeah, uh, what rice, uh, yeah. what rice. Uh, so I caught it the last time round that he did it, uh, mm. and I believe that was in two thousand and one. So it's been nearly a decade, yeah, uh, since that. Uh, and I also managed to catch one where it was played by Margaret Chan. So that's mm. probably two thousand and ten. So I watched it twice, uh, by mm. two two different stagings by uh different actors, uh, yeah. in back to back years. Mm. Yeah, so um, I I mean like honestly, it's been a long time. Uh, yeah. it's a bit li- difficult to to recapture like specific moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh at, at the point in time when I was convinced to go the first time round, right? Uh, with Margaret mm-hmm. Chan, yeah. um, I had heard of it, I mm. had read about it, you know. Um, but it was one of those things that that. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were telling me that, you know, you have to go and experience it, right? Just because being a part of the audience is a big part of, of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Margaret Chan is amazing uh, in mm. the role. Like, I remember her standing there in all her glory on, on stage and just like a kind of singular spotlight. And like, the way in which she delivers lines, like she embodied what, what I thought Emily would be, uh, mm. Emily Gunn would be, right? And then to... Um, see Ivan do that a year later um, in in a similar but totally different take yeah. uh, on it was quite dramatic um, mm. like I wasn't really sure what to feel about it I, th- I think when I left the theatre after Ivan's one uh, it was mm. great it was good but it was so so different like there was a very kind of different um, place I feel that they were coming from uh, in, in the treatment of of uh, uh, the source material, um, mm. the way that they played Emily felt very very different. Like it had similar resonance, but at the same time, like it was totally different. You know, so um, being there and having that kind, like Margaret, felt a lot like a like a, a mother. 
right? Yes. Like yeah. I, there were moments in time where I was just like, oh my god, I'm I'm in trouble, you know. Yep. yep. Uh, and and being much younger back then as well, uh, I was mm-hmm. just like, oh dear, oh dear, you know, like there's sort of that familial f- familiarity as well as like a bit of terror involved. Yeah. Uh, whereas for Ivan, I didn't quite get the same feeling, right? Um, you know, the way that um, both of them kind of like address the crowd uh, with, with the questions mm. and with the pauses and all of that, um, the intonations and the way that they went about it felt very different. Uh, mm. So yeah, for, uh, that's essentially what I can remember from, from the, two, um, the two times I managed to catch it. Interesting. Okay. Um. I I've never seen the the Margaret Chan iteration of it, nor any other iteration of it. I've only seen the Wild Rice uh, staging of it, which uh, it's been staged for a very long time actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, the version I I caught uh was the streaming version that Wild Rice put out uh during quarantine mm-hmm. uh basically to kind of just you know if you if you rent it you can actually no not even rent it was free yeah. uh y- you can you know. I wanted to catch up on it uh, because it was such a big uh, hyped up thing in, in, in Singapore uh, theatre which uh, and one of the most most famous English language plays uh, monodramas that, that I've never seen so I thought you know why not catch this version uh, maybe it's not the best version but it is still uh, a respected production of that of the story uh, of Stella yeah. Kahn's uh, work so I went into it not knowing anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't in the audience with the participation and everything. Uh, but I felt like Ivan Hing uh, my, did a really good job. He yep. was uh, really, really funny. Uh, and, um, uh, and I was quite, quite enthralled with, uh, with his performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, as with the, the set design, the, the costuming as well. Oh, the, kabaya, the kabayas are all like phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, on on stage, kind of uh, the the faded white uh, house interiors uh, uh, kind of acts as a as a canvas for some pro- projections in an attempt to uh, kind of re- reflect the grandeur of the em- uh, Emerald Hill mansion. Uh-huh. Uh, so I I I loved or I loved that like, I kind of loved the the staging of it and the, and the setting of it. Uh, I, and I thought it was it was it lived up to the hype for me like. Yeah, mm. I was I was very worried about like you know watching. Emily of Emerald Hill in the same way that I was worried about uh, well like uh, I think some people who maybe kind of missed out on the Hamilton hype train and just like watch right. it now is like is it worth the hype yeah uh, and I would say that Emily of Emerald Hill as a as a piece of text is worth it yep, and yeah. to see it uh, perform live also worth it uh, in, in, in Ivan King's version uh, perhaps I, I don't know maybe other people will have uh, different interpretations of who does the better job but since this is my only uh, experience with mm-hmm. it I thought he did he did a really great job yeah. um, and it also has to be said that like the version I watched is kind of like I think eight to nine years after his kind of original take on it yeah. because it, it was brought back for kind of a second um, I don't know what you call it like uh, second staging right yeah uh, so I think Ivan, uh, from what I gather, like upon reading interviews and stuff, like with Ivan and stuff, that he has, uh, he adjusted his performance and is a more mature. Uh, like he 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 now knows better what to go for, like, and uh, isn't as as broad as the first time. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I do understand. I mean, like I don't think it's a fair comparison, right? Like I've only watched two out of the what uh, eight people who have played Emily. Over mm-hmm. the years, you know, I mean, like, New Zealand has done it, Claire Wong has yep. done it, uh, I, Karen, I think Karen Tan has done it as well, uh, and I've only seen the two, and I think, like, the only basis for comparison with me was just because at the point in time, that was, like, two years back-to-back that I watched it, 
Uh, and um, like Ivan's version was there was so much flair. It was so flamboyant, you know. Yep. And I remember there being a lot of like moving parts on stage and kind of mm. like stage drops and the costume swaps. Like it was an extravaganza in its own right that did not feel out of place from from what the source material needed, you know. Mm. But then, then in contrast, uh, you know, with Margaret Chan's kind of like more subtle and nuanced performance um just like the it it just felt really really different you know and i'm curious this i I, i'm curious and i have a feeling that like um ivan's performance so this this taping i'm guessing was from last year from 2019 Mm. uh would definitely have translated better for an audience that's sitting behind the screen Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have a feeling that that is the case, you know, because you need that kind of uh, uh, loudness, I think, in order for mm. it to translate a bit better for an audience. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, w- w- were you watching it live, though? Or uh, live? No, no. no. I, I, in, I didn't watch it live. Yeah, okay. Because uh, I, I recall Chris telling us about... <laughs> yeah. Chris telling us about watching it um, and uh, he was reading through the comments that it was happening and there was just this mm-hmm. weird confluence of, uh, you know, the internet and <laughs> Singaporean stage that yep. he found completely absurd and hilarious. Yeah, uh, stre- streaming theater is not a thing. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not, you're not watching a DJ set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, he, yeah. you know, pressing F to pay respects and all of that, like, I yep. never in a million years would have thought that it would come to that, but hey, we are living in strange times. I know. Like I, I thought like of all things to be, if they were to stage uh, this live uh, and they can interact with, I guess, the comment section, <laughs> that, would, that, that, that would be interesting because I think uh, Emily of Emerald Hill is, is designed as a participatory yeah. uh, play with audience interactions. Uh, yeah. In lieu of an audience due to a pandemic, you know, uh, you could try something ambitious with streaming. Absolutely. But I don't, I, I don't know how it would, play out uh but i do know that it will be entertaining even if it's a disaster i i would absolutely love i would absolutely tune in to emily of emerald hill meets twitch absolutely yeah, yeah. right do it like, on twitch and it's great and i i mean like it would be difficult to keep to the script and all of that but at the end mm. of the day it is a conversation right it was written as a conversation between the performer and the audience it's just that the audience is very very much different now when we are talking about the with the internet you know, mm. and I would be fascinated to see where that goes, right? You yeah. know, to deal with trolls and to deal with memeing and to do with all of that um, while trying to put this on is no small feat in and of itself, right? Oh, but definitely. I think it would have some fascinating results. Yeah. I mean, like, um, I, I think kind of similar to uh, Pina also, in which I couldn't uh, watch it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of wish I was there, like, you know, so I can see. Uh, Emily kind of scold, uh, you know, like Peranakans are known for fussiness, <laughs> you know, for uh, for punctuality. So yeah. Late, ca- late comers to the show oh singled out, yes. you know, yes. and, and yelled at by Emily. So I kind of want to see that live also and, and kind of the, the attempt to teach audiences more about Peranakan culture, mm-hmm. you know, at various points, you know, to meticulously prepare uh, pineapple tarts, you know, ensuring that we had the right ingredients and all of that. 
uh, and the the kind of the sharing her recipe to prepare the um, ayam buah keluak, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, it's all very culturally informative. Uh, in addition to being an, an entertaining monodrama that is very well acted, uh-huh. very well staged with just like immaculate costuming. Oh yeah. Uh, and and produ- production value is is kind of the word I was looking for earlier. Yeah, yeah. great production value. At least for the Wild Rice version, that's so. all. Yeah. Uh yeah, the Wild Wild Rice's production value from even back when I was uh the first one that I, uh that one of Ivan that I watched, incredible, mm-hmm. incredible, especially the costuming like that consistently blew me away. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, love the music. It's just a very fun play, like you know the music, the joget joget, and everything. <laughs> it's it's just it's just a really fun play. Uh, but also you know dramatically relevant mm-hmm. and insightful into uh Pranakan Matriarch's uh mindset, I guess you know so. I think it 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 really has deserved the hype that it has has received for over the last nineteen eighty five, over the last thirty five years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I I highly encourage anyone who hasn't caught it to mm-hmm. uh, catch it. Whether it, I, I would say watching it live really is quite the experience. I, I think like uh, mm-hmm. you know hopefully when things open up again, hits and I can go and catch one more uh, in person. Yeah. Uh, I think Emily of Emerald Hill has has been uh, restaged over and over again for thirty five years, and he will keep doing so. Yep. So you always have a chance to watch a new version of Emily of Emerald Hill, or you know, a revised version of Wild, the Wild Rice play, or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it will be out. Yeah. But you know, if you if you want to read the play by by Stella Korn, it's, it's also available on Amazon and online stores and the National Library if you want to get it. You know. Yep. Uh. So yeah, it's worth a read as well because it's a it's a great piece of text too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, did I cut you off earlier? Uh, what do you want to say? Oh no, no, no. Uh, I mean, like, uh, what? How? It's. We recommend it enough for you to get a hold of it, however you can, right? Whether or mm. not they're going to rescreen it, uh, which they might, uh, if things don't get better, uh, yeah. or you know whether you are fortunate enough to be able to go for a live, um, a live theater experience for Emily of Emerald Hill or you just want to read um the text itself like we highly recommend you go and get it yeah man i mean i'm i'm a fairly i, I would call myself like a singapore theater neophyte uh i'm i probably seen more plays than your average person but i am by no means at all like well versed in the history of like singapore theater and i don't keep up with it mm-hmm. you know things like that like i have like other people in my life that like fill me in on that la. like chris for example mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that la. so this this is kind of like the one area of singaporean art that like i'm i just have i enjoy being a casual <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I I I too often am too bogged down with that like the person that people ask about hey is this good what is your take on it when it comes to you know music or film and TV mm-hmm. and literature and like can I I just want one thing where I want somebody else to help me <laughs> <laughs> and 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 theater is it and I and I enjoy discovering things yeah. like, and I I enjoy like my belated discovery of finally watching Emily of Emerald Hill was great because I knew nothing about it mm-hmm. not uh, I'm not a theater person I have nothing to compare it to I'm I'm so like lost here but I enjoyed it on a pure visceral level like I just watched out I just sat down I watched it and I enjoyed it. And you know, I I so rarely get to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So that that's uh. This is great, man. And and I mean, I know we've covered some theater here before. You know, like obviously Hamilton and and uh, the stage version of Fleabag, which we I talked about a bit as well. Yep. Uh. And I think a couple of other things. But like, I hope to get into 
uh, more Singaporean theater in the future like, once yep. it opens up and there are new plays to talk about that maybe we would we would talk more about uh, stage and, and plays and stuff like that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks, actually. Mm. Uh, we haven't quite discussed what the what the plan is yet, but yeah. it will be. It's always good, like it will be good. Yeah, it'll be it'll good. Be good. Uh, in the meantime, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Happy National Day, Singapore. Yay! Uh, we we are here, and we are proud to be here. And you may not be perfect, and all of that. Uh, mm. If you guys are looking for more Singaporean works of art, specifically movies. Mm. Um, that you want to check out. Uh, Hits has mm-hmm. also written an article on Pop Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, listing some of the best <clears throat> in in on the silver screen that we have to offer. Uh, mm. So please do go check that out. It's a fairly it's it's a long list. Uh, so yeah, there's a so lot 15. of good stuff on Definitely. there that um, we both love. Uh, uh, and if you're looking for more stuff, then please go ahead and check that out on Pop Boy. Oh yes, uh, thanks for the for the plug, man. Uh, I had a lot, <laughs> I had a lot of fun um, revisiting uh, some of my favorite uh, Singaporean films. Uh, yeah, just uh, it was interesting to see whether some of them held up. Yeah, you know, I mean, with the fact that what we just got like ten on Netflix, is it ten? I can't remember. Uh, uh, I think we got a, we got a bunch of like I think ten or maybe more films and and a lot of TV shows as well. You know, like growing up, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. like I mean, it, it's obviously timely, time timed and timely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, clearly but I mean like a lot of these things are accessible now um, uh, yes. more so than ever uh, so you know go check them out go go see if there's anything that uh, sparks your mm. interest and uh, definitely yeah I would say that three quarters of my list in, in the top 15 uh, it, it, this is not an objective top 15 best <laughs> number in Singapore yeah. I mean the, ti- the title is 15 great films of Singapore it's from my personal opinion yeah. uh, and, and it spans our entire history uh, pre-independence even you know there, there's some uh, old Chinese and Malay films in there as well uh, I will say that three quarters of them are available on Netflix so they're very easily available mm-hmm. um, a couple of them the older ones are not available on Netflix but you know yeah, it's on like can... fucking Facebook video and YouTube is all over you the place. Yeah. You can find them. Uh, and a couple especially are not available on Netflix because they're uh, political documentaries yeah. about you know people who were tortured by our government and stuff like that and exiled and political dissidents and yeah. all that. Uh, similar to Charlie Chan Hock Chai. Uh, you get why. La. But again, hey, uh, they've been put out for free by the filmmakers on YouTube as well. So yep. all you have to do is search for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've provided the necessary links and all that like, in the article. So do check that out as well. And also, um, recently, John Recorty 32 came out as well. So if you haven't, uh, do check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of uh, cool stuff to talk about there. Uh, the Old Guard, which I really loved. Um, and apparently a lot of people do yep. uh, as well. You know, uh, Japan Sings 2020, we didn't like so much. You know, and, and lots of other stuff. Uh, uh, and we will be back for more genre and more behold in the coming weeks. So stay tuned to the genre equality uh, Facebook uh, to keep up to date and also our mix club. Yep, absolutely. All right, man. Uh, till next time. This has been Hit Zero. This is Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.